You know when the clock strikes 12, that Midnight Mania Sports hosted by Austin Takuda and George Hathaway starts right now. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 here on Midnight Mania Sports. Austin Takuda, George Hathaway back again here for another edition of What's Going On in the Sports World, George. Uh, I'd say a busy weekend again in the NFL. We mm-hmm. have the World Series coming up, a lot to get into, but first I guess we have to start with the MLB because the World Series is starting tonight. The Rays and the Dodgers. Um, we'll get mm-hmm. into our predictions at some point, but I don't know if it's breaking news. But I, I believe Kershaw is on the mound tonight for Game One. Yes, he is. Yeah. So in my book, you know, he's eleven and twelve in the postseason in his career, four point three one ERA, and he he struggles. He's not that same Clayton Kershaw we see in you know the regular season. So. And look at the last few World Series that he's been in. He really underperformed. So with him on the mound, I'm not too worried. You know, if I'm the Rays, you still got to play the same, you know, pace that you've been playing all season long, you know, against the uh, Yankees and Astros. So really, I think the Rays are going to win tonight with Kershaw on the mound. Uh, even though he, he's a, probably one of the best pitchers, you know, in the MLB right now, but He's just not the same guy in the postseason. Yeah, we'll have to get into that a little bit later. Um, Mm -hmm. Kershaw, though, like you mentioned, just hasn't, he's not the same guy in the regular season as he is in the postseason. Another team that's underperforming that we'll get into is the Dallas Cowboys, George. I know you're heartbroken. What I want to bring up is a rumor has surfaced via Jane Slater of NFL Network. And in that report, Slater said she received messages from anonymous players. on in regards to the mm-hmm. Cowboys coaching staff. Now, these players said, quote, they're totally unprepared. Yep. Quote, the coaching staff doesn't teach. They don't have any sense, any sense of adjusting on the fly. And they're just aren't good at their jobs, end quote. So basically, according to Jane Slater, she's getting messages from Cowboys players just trashing Mike McCarthy and the new staff. So, mm, I mean, I don't like oh, to talk gosh. about it this early, but is there any possibility that Jerry Jones fires Mike McCarthy. I mean, in in third uh, place, they're two and four, which is a really that's never going to get your first place ever until this well, year. Well, the NFC so, East. I mean, I'll just ask I don't you, know. Right. I mean, uh, is there any possibility that they fire Mike McCarthy? You know, we we've seen this with Jerry Jones and Jason Garrett. He, you know, was still and you know Jerry Jones isn't really quick to pull the trigger. Doesn't look like. You know, um, it's Mike McCarthy's first season and he has this unfortunate circumstance that his star quarterback is not playing and Andy Dalton is now QB. So really, this isn't what Mike McCarthy expected to happen. Defense is banged up. You know, the offense, Zeke is playing like trash, but we'll get into that later. But, you know, all these things are coming in at once. I think McCarthy's getting the blame. But I mean, these players, they see it firsthand, though, that how the coaches are going to react to these kind of situations. And you know, they had a week to really prepare with Andy Dalton because uh, Dak's injury was week four. They played right. terrible week five. Now we're going into week six, two weeks since Dak Prescott's been out. You know, this is kind of when you have to start getting that tempo and getting the flow of things with Andy Dalton on offense. But defensively, we've been seeing the same terrible defense. Nothing's changed. And that does actually end up coming from the coaching staff, I believe, that they're not really hitting home at practice of what is going on on defense. 
Uh, Mike McCarthy, going back to your original question, Austin, he's he's going to stay for the season unless like things really start going bad, but I don't see that happening. Yeah, I think it's hard to blame it on him, especially when you lose your franchise quarterback. Now, mm-hmm. like you said, there are things that you got to look at the coaching and be like, okay, something's got to change. They're, they're getting torched on defense every game, but at the same time, Zeke turned the ball over twice yesterday and Dalton threw two picks. So that's four extra times that the defense really shouldn't have been on the field at that specific mm-hmm. moment where they then gave up points here and there. Um, but you have to adjust. You're like the worst defense of all time right now. Like you're <laughs> yeah. giving up 40 points a game and there's no changes being made. And there is talent there. You have Leighton Van Der Esch and Jalen mm-hmm. Smith of the linebacker position, two of the best young linebackers in the game right now. Um, but yeah, you let Kenyon Drake rifle off a 70 yard touchdown and run with three minutes left in the game. And it's just unbelievable how they can't adjust. Christian Kirk, uh, Kirk torched them on a long touchdown yesterday. Kyler was running all over the place. I mean, there's just too many chunk plays that they give up and their defense is struggling. But like I said, the offense is really putting them in a tough spot because they keep putting them on the field so often. So I guess it'll be interesting to see what Jerry Jones does. I, I don't think they'll fire McCarthy. I don't think you can do that. I mean, I mean, yes, you physically can, you can, but I don't know of any situation really where they fired the coach in their first season that quickly. Um, so I guess we'll have to see how that plays out. But and I guess our last headline for the day comes from Miami where the Dolphins have just named Tua Tagovailoa the starter over Ryan Fitzpatrick, even though Fitzpatrick has led them to a 3-3 three and three record in one game out of first place in the AFC East. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tua's getting a chance and I think Fitz is a perfect guy to learn from because he's, you know, he's going to help to it. Even if Fitz isn't starting, he's happy for the guy he saw when he got in the game the other day against the Jets, Fitz was cheering him on from the sideline. So that's huge news as the second quarterback taken in the draft is now going to be a starter after the Dolphins bye week this week. And it's a great story for two, a really come up story. And I think it is good to learn from Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's been in the league for a long time now. He's been on numerous teams. And I think the Dolphins, really that team that kind of stuck with him where he kind of, you know, when he was on the Jets, he, you know, eh, he had those few moments. But other than that, but now in Miami, last season, he beat the Patriots out of nowhere and kind of really shocked everybody. And here we are again, when he's playing phenomenal as well. And I think, Tua is going to be a great predecessor. He's probably going to be one of the star QBs in the NFL. If he continues to play at a great level, we saw him for two passes on Sunday and he completed both of them for nine yards. So you, you can't base his career off of two touched or not two touchdown passes, but two passes in general. And it's, he's going to have a long season. It's going to be a long career for him. And I th- wish him nothing but success. And, for Fitzpatrick, now you're going to be benched. You, there's a few starting positions out there for him, in my opinion, that he could probably go out and, you know, test the waters and see if he does end up getting traded. He could have a starting role in a few teams. I agree with that. And I honestly think an interesting location is Dallas. To be I, honest I was saying that. I was saying that. He's, he's a competitor, which Andy Dalton isn't really. I mean, Fitzpatrick is going to try to run the ball. He's going to try you know, rejected, but I don't know if Miami is, you know, looking to move Fitzpatrick because they like him as a backup, they like him as a mentor. And if anything goes wrong with Tua, you're still at a point where you're competing for a wild card spot right now. So you can always kind of thrust Fitzpatrick in and it'll help you compete. 
Now, he's not going to go out there and win you 10 games, Fitzpatrick. And uh, I think Jerry Jones knows that. So is there really a huge difference between Dalton and Fitzpatrick's ability? Maybe not. But I think Fitzpatrick does give you a little bit of an edge. So he could be on the trade block. I guess we'll have to see. The trade deadline, I believe, is week eight. And we're now Mm -hmm. heading into, what, week seven? So it's coming up. Six. I think it's week six. No, yeah. I think we're heading into week seven, right? Uh, Yeah, Yeah, week seven. Because the Patriots lost again. Every. Yeah, but I, I, you know, with the whole schedule change, everything's throwing me off about that. Where it's like I don't even know what week it is. Patriots, you know, missed two weeks, and I was like, oh, here we are, week seven already. And yeah, yeah. And I guess it's a good time to just go right into the NFL and talk Patriots uh, falling to the Denver Broncos on Sunday. I mean. It's easy to come on here and complain about the Patriots. Um, of course. But I guess we have to look at the facts, and the facts are that they, they only scored 12 points, and they lost 18-12 to 12 to the Denver Broncos, a team who hasn't really shown that much. They've shown some ability to run the ball, but they didn't have Melvin Gordon. So this was a game that the Patriots should have won, and I, I think I don't think anyone really bet on the Broncos. So I don't know what you saw wrong, but I, I think it was the offense that struggled. The defense is mm-hmm. fine. I mean, they played well again. Um, bend but don't break, giving up six field goals in that game. That's fine. I'll uh, take but, field goals. Right, right. You can you can win games only giving up. You should win most games only giving up eighteen points. And they picked off Drew Locke in the end, and they had a chance for the offense to win it. But I was very, you know, I was pretty set in stone early in the year. I was like, they don't need another weapon. They're fine. Harry's going to be good. Edelman's good. Demir Bird looks okay, and then the running backs are fine. Now. <laughs> Julian Edelman's invisible. Nikhil Harry can't. Nikhil Harry can't run routes. He's over two on. He was targeted twice. Ended mm-hmm. up on the ground both times. Didn't catch a pass this week. And Demir Bird, not a bad receiver to have on your roster, but not somebody that you can look to to be a number one. So they might have to figure out something. I just don't want them trading another second round pick for a guy like Mohamed Sanu. Yeah, looking back at that trade for Sanu, that is not worth it for the Patriots. I mean, we really didn't get to see Sanu this season and how he would adjust to all of this, but I, I think the Patriots, they do need another weapon. Cam Newton's been saying in press conferences, oh, we have everybody in the locker room. Cam, dude, you do not have everybody you need in the locker room. I mean, Julian Edelman is not Julian Edelman. I, I don't even know who he's playing like because he's not himself. Uh, Nikhil Harry, oh man, I had faith in him. I, I really, and I've been patient. A lot of Patriots fans have been patient with him. We're waiting for, you know, his one comeback, come out season or one come out game, too. And that's not happening either. Uh, now it's time to really look if you're Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft, to say, if we want to start winning, we need to, you know, move some pieces around and get somebody on this offense because the running game is only going to do so much. You know, and we saw it against the Broncos that they stopped the run a few times. And they're going to, other teams are noticing that too. You're going to have to catch on. You know, the Patriots, all they're going to do is run it. You know, it's going to go to Harris or it's going to go to Cam or Michelle, right? And that's pretty much it in the backfield for the Patriots. Burkett a few times as well. After that, you've run out of options. Now you got to pass the ball. And if that's not working, that's not going to win you games. Right, and I, it's hard because, like you said, you don't want to, you know, give up on Harry this early in his career. It's only year two, and yeah, he was hurt for part of last year. Then 
you have the argument of, well, Brady didn't want to work with them. Brady, mm-hmm. he was kind of stubborn his last year here and didn't try to help the rookie receivers. But and Cam also isn't the best passer, but he's shown abilities. I mean, especially that Seahawks game to be a good pass. And some roads as played by Blackman listening to the Patriots games. Um, Harry's roads either, so it's kind of hard to look at it and be because this pick in the end is really a bust at the moment. I mean, he's still got time, and they're not going to release him after the season. He'll have another year at least, but I, I got to wait the rest of the year to see what he can do. Um, and I also don't think it's fair to compare him to, oh, the Patriots could have drafted DK Metcalf instead of him. Well, nobody would have. That's the thing is nobody else, like all the other teams could have drafted DK Metcalf. Like he went in the second round, I think. He went pretty late in the draft. So like there was 40 other picks ahead of him. So it's not like the Patriots or any other team was like, oh, DK, terrible pick by the Patriots to take Harry over. It was like questionable. They're all kind of even. Brown, AJ Brown, Harry, and Metcalf. I mean, but you can't look at it now. That's like complaining that other teams drafted guys before Giannis. It's like, well, nobody had Giannis graded as the number one best player. Right. So you can't really complain about who got taken over who. I don't like that argument. That's a lot of people say that. Well, we messed up because we didn't take DK. It's like, well, nobody really would have. That's the problem. So I think it's not fair to, you know, like a lot of Boston people will do is oh this kid harry's horrible get him off the team it's just give him some more time i mean give him a little bit of time and we'll kind of see what happens but at the end of the day it's still early in the year you're not out of it by any means so uh, but i do think they need some form of another receiver so i'll ask you george some candidates that the patriots could bring in according to nick goss of yahoo sports so some of the options aj green would be the first one any thought or any interest in aj green from the Bengals? AJ Green, he's a great receiver. Um, in his prime, he's probably one of the best in the NFL. He was phenomenal. He's had a few injuries over the last few years that kind of set him back. A um, little nervous about that to see if he's, I don't know if he's 100%. He looks like he's playing good with Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, but I, I question his health to see in the long run if he will really have that same speed that he used because it was an ankle injury last year for him. So, you kind of question that, but I wouldn't mind AJ Green because that would really kind of complete the offense. I think Cam would like him too. I think Green's a good option. He's a veteran too, so he knows how. Like the thing is, you need somebody like Green because he knows how to run the routes. He's not going to make mistakes, and that's kind of what the Patriots are lacking. That kind of, I mean, Edelman's that guy, but Edelman doesn't really run those outside routes as much anymore. He's kind of a slot mm-hmm. guy. So that's what they need is they need somebody on the outside like AJ Green. Um, there's not really as big of a wide receiver trade market this year as in previous years. I mean, obviously, Emmanuel Sanders is now locked up in a contract with the Saints. Sanu is a free agent again, so I don't know if there's any possibility of a reunion with him. Um, But there hasn't been a ton of talk about guys getting moved. I guess Golden Tate for the Giants is an option, but he does have a hefty contract that I don't think Bill would want to take on. Um, So I really – I don't know that there's a ton out there for them to bring in. Obviously, you can talk about Julio Jones and how the Falcons are bad, but Julio's a guy who I think will play his whole career in Atlanta. So I just just don't know if that's an option. I don't see Julio moving. I mean, there's been, you know, reports today that, you know, they're going to be interested in looking Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and start, you know, trading them and whatever. But I don't really think that Matt Ryan and Julio Jones are going to leave um, Atlanta, 
because like that's just who they are i believe as people i would love to have julio jones on my team like don't get me wrong right one of the best receivers in the nfl and of course i'd want him on my team but would he fit in that patriots offense i don't know i mean cam newton and matt ryan are two different quarterbacks that played two different levels of football. I mean, if it was Tom Brady and Julio Jones, I'd say maybe it would be a similar comparison with, between Matt Ryan and Brady, but Cam and Julio, that would be interesting to see. Uh, but do the Patriots have that money for Julio Jones to kind of bring him in? I don't think so. I think they could have the money because they didn't end up signing like they Brady came off the book. So I don't know how I'll have to look at how much cap space they have, but there's a chance they can make it work uh, financially. But like you said, I don't know. I just don't know if Julio is a guy who is going to get moved necessarily. Um, It's hard to say. I know another name put in this article by Nick Goss was Will Fuller of the Houston Texans, another young receiver. He's 26 years old. Um, 28 catches on the year, 455 yards, four touchdowns. But the problem is, is Fuller hasn't had a completely healthy season yet. He's pulled a hamstring, like literally like clockwork every single year. Um, he's had a couple major injuries with his knee. Um, he's the best receiver on that Houston Texans team. But if you're the Texans, you're not going to trade a 26-year-old receiver who is Deshaun Watson's favorite target right now. I don't know if that's going to happen, so I don't know if Fuller is an option. But the guy I think that I could see ending up in a Patriots uniform is Didi Westbrook from the Jacksonville Jaguars. He has one catch this season. Last season, he had um, 66 receptions. So a guy who was a focal point of the offense, and he was a finalist for the Heisman Trophy back in college. He's 20, 26 years old, and he's really quick. He returns punts. So I think he's the missing piece. Um, I think it's between A.J. Green and D.D. Westbrook because those are two guys who fill the need that the Patriots have in terms of receiver. I, I like those two receivers. I think they'd be good fits as well. And another big problem, Austin, we haven't covered this yet for the Patriots is that offensive line. It was terrible on Sunday. Four sacks for Cam Newton. And both of his interceptions, I believe, were not Cam's fault because both of them, I'm pretty sure, were tipped. And that's due to that offensive line not doing a good job blocking. Uh, I know, you know, it's been moving around. Shaq Mason, you know, everybody has been in and out. That offensive line's really been shaky the last few weeks with players just moving around different positions. So I think this is something you really need to focus on is protecting camp right now. You don't want to see him hurt. And you want to make sure you create those gaps for him to run if he ever needs a scramble. Because – our receivers on uh, the Patriots receivers on Sunday, we're not getting open at all. So that would lead to cam sitting in the pocket for at least, I think I counted one time he was in the pocket for 10 seconds and nobody was open. So he had to scramble, but that, uh, that line, it was crashing in on him. So he had no option. And that would either result in a fumble, a sack or an interception, which that's not good for the Patriots right now. And that's something they've struggled with the last few years is that offensive line, but still, you know, you got to practice on that offensive line. And you got to get it better. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, the O-line is a huge issue, and obviously injuries are a part of it. You had Dante Skarnecki, your longtime mm -hmm. offensive line coach, retire back before the season started. Um, so you're without him. I remember last time they were without Skarnecki, they replaced him, and then he had to come out of retirement because they couldn't get it done without him coaching the O-line. I don't think he's coming out of retirement this time, no, though. I don't think so. so they're going to have to figure something out. Um, it's hard to trade for O-line, though. That's the thing, is people mm -hmm. don't realize. There's not a lot of 
flexibility because, I mean, especially with the Patriots, they have Joe Tooney at um, left guard who made a lot of money. And they don't usually pay guys. They let Solder leave. They, they've they let other free agents like Trent Brown leave, which now they're kind of regretting, I think. Mm. Um, but at some point, like, you got to probably pay somebody. You can't keep getting a good old lineman for three years and letting him walk. So it's interesting to see where they'll go from here. But they they got a chance to turn things around, I think, once the guys start to get healthy um, and kind of help, you know, get this team back to full strength. But uh, in other NFL news, I guess, I mean, we already talked about how the Cowboys got blown out of the water. I won't bring it up too much to <laughs> don't want to upset you, but the Chiefs in the Bills were the other Monday night football game mm-hmm. last night. And I was not surprised the Chiefs won. I thought they were going to. But Josh Allen has not looked jo- the Josh Allen of the first four weeks. The last two games, the Bills are 0-2, and he's struggled. He's just not the same quarterback. And I think Troy Aikman touched on it a lot last night. He's not accurate right now with the football. And that was the biggest problem when he was drafted. He struggles with his accuracy. So is, I guess, the question, um, the first four weeks where Josh Allen was an MVP candidate, were those just a flash in the pan and now we're seeing the real Josh Allen, an inaccurate passer? Or is this a guy who's legitimately good and going to bounce back? For me, I believe that those first four weeks, that was probably just a fluke, in my opinion. You know, Josh Allen, he's, he's, a, he's a good quarterback, not great. Uh, he, he did what he could, and he played at a good level for four weeks. You know? And now the Bills are just back to the same old Bills. And you know, the, they're going to play the Patriots in a few weeks. They're going to have a very interesting schedule coming up. Uh, I know next week the Bills, they, they play the Jets. So, I mean, that, that has to be a win, in, in my opinion. <laughs> but has to be, you, has to be. You built a team around here up in Buffalo, you know, Stefan Diggs, one of the, a great receiver. And I thought he helped Josh Allen out a lot, but you also played a very ch- tough chiefs team uh, on Monday night. And so that could have been a reason why as well. It could have been a little nerve wracking for the bills that actually kind of, this was their true test. And then the Titans the week before. So two back-to-back tough games for the bills in my opinion, but you know, Josh Allen, if you want to stay an MVP candidate, you still got to play at a high level, especially against good teams. That's what will really make you well-known. So I guess the first the first four weeks, Josh Allen was pretty spectacular, as I mentioned. Statistically, he had 12 touchdown passes and just one interception and also three rushing touchdowns, so a total of 15 touchdowns. Last two weeks, he has gotten four passing touchdowns but three interceptions. So it's been the turnovers, and he just hasn't looked accurate like we said. So that the Patriots division getting a little closer with the Bills losing two in a row. And then other headlines from Sunday's NFL action, not a ton of upsets, I don't think. I mean, looking through it, yeah, the Tennessee Titans win over the uh, Houston Texans, 42-36. Derrick Henry going for 200 yards rushing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been phenomenal all season long in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, that. what do you have, a 90-yard touchdown, right? Uh, yeah, that was phenomenal. Yeah. I saw. Oh wow, he has some speed. I think he notched like 21 miles per hour, and he's an amazing running back. And I'm glad that the Titans have him, and they're they're a tough team right now to really watch out for. And I think honestly, Austin, if we're, if we're going to talk about upsets, let's talk about this uh, Tampa Bay 
Green Bay game. That was probably one of the best ones of Sunday. At least the first few minutes were. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm watching the game, and all of a sudden after the first quarter, the Packers are up 10 nothing, and everything's looking smooth sailing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, man, Rodgers is good. This team looks great. And, you know, I check Twitter, and people are like, oh, man, if the, if the Buccaneers don't fix something, this game's going to be a blowout. Next thing you know, I come back downstairs about 45 minutes later, and the score reads 28-10 to 10 Tampa Bay. I'm <laughs> like, like, what happened? I mean, they just collapsed. Rodgers with two interceptions, pick six. I mean, and Brady just started doing his thing. He wasn't even – he didn't have to do much. I mean, he was 17 of 25 with 166 and two touchdowns. Literally all Tom had to do was not turn the ball over and hand it to Ronald Jones who ran for two touchdowns and 113 yards. So the Buccaneers now, all of a sudden the script has flipped after the first quarter of that game. It was, wow, man, the Packers look really good. They're going to be a beast in the NFC. Next thing you know, about 30 minutes later, wow, how about them Buccaneers? The Packers stink. So it was a it was an interesting game, man. I mean, it shows you how quick it can change in the NFL. And for me, this was a true test of Brady – and Rodgers, you know, Tom Brady is not in New England anymore under Bill Belichick. So he's pretty much on his own against Aaron Rodgers, uh, two of the greats going at it. And Tom Brady won, you know, this battle against Aaron Rodgers. But for me, the, the Tampa Bay defense stepped up after that first quarter. And that was a big help for Tom Brady was he wasn't on the field as much because the defense was getting stops and Tom Brady was allowing to really kind of soak it all in from the sidelines. And I, I, I'm pretty sure he got taken out of the game in the fourth quarter too. And he just did. so, and I same with Aaron Rodgers as well, but I mean, that was all defense by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, that was, um, like you said, they took out Rodgers for Tim Boyle. I've never heard of him. Uh, but I have heard of Blaine Gabbert, the backup for the Buccaneers who came in and threw an incompletion. So, you know, it's a tough game, especially as broadcasters uh, for Joe Buck and Aikman when he, all of a sudden you have, you know, a blowout and you got 15 minutes left of Blaine Gabbert versus Tim Boyle in an NFL contest. So that was a tough game, but it, it helps cement Tom Brady a little bit further this year. As Okay, he's not just a system quarterback. As mm-hmm. he continues to win these games, that'll become more clear. Um, Falcons got their first win, moved to one and five on the air with a 40 to 23 win over the Minnesota Vikings. And I guess the question Oof. is, uh, Mike Zimmer, the Vikings head coach, has been there a while. Um, they haven't necessarily, I mean, I don't know if they've ever been projected to win the Super Bowl, so you can't really say they haven't reached their potential. But to win against Minnesota now, the Falcons fired Dan Quinn, so we'll kind of see. Yeah, so for the Vikings, really they might be the next team to really look at to fire their head coach. And Mike Zimmer, he's, he's done good, but now it's, it's a different team. You know, you, you lose your star wide receiver and it it makes Kirk Cousins looks bad. It it really does. And granted Kirk Cousins was never an elite quarterback. He wasn't up there with that status. I'd probably put him in the same boat as probably Ryan Fitzpatrick and maybe Josh Allen before. I mean, Josh Allen now, I guess, the last two weeks, Josh Allen. I'd throw him in that category with him because 
really this Vikings team is completely, it did a whole 180 versus last year and the few years before. And Mike's, he's the Vikings, they got to part ways with him. Looks like, I mean, the Falcons, though, it's the Vikings. So nothing really, not really a true test, in my opinion. But still, I think this show that the Falcons, they, they can produce on offense. I mean, they put up 40 points against a Minnesota team that has an all right defense. Uh, and, I mean, Julio Jones finally got his first touchdown of the season. And that's unlike him, really, in week six to get his first touchdown. Yeah, he he played pretty well. Kevin Ridley doing a really nice job, too, at receiver for the Falcons. He's now the number one receiver in ESPN PPR Fantasy League. So that's a guy who's really developed well as a pass catcher for the Falcons as well. Um, in week seven, though, moving forward, we have a Thursday night football matchup, one for the ages, one of the oh, best my matchups goodness. possible. This is going to be absolutely phenomenal. The New York Giants versus the Philadelphia Eagles in a battle of NFC East behemoths. Um, the Giants did pick up their first win, so they have a win. That is official. They beat the Reds. Uh, sorry, the Washington football team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do that all year. So oh, the so Eagles are 1-4-1, and one, and the Giants are 1-5. Uh, Miles Sanders, the Eagles starting running back, not playing. Saquon Barkley out for the year. Um, so if there's anything else on TV, this is a really good chance to watch the world series instead. So <laughs> I'm gonna, I don't even know if it's on Thursday, but I might just have to watch a rerun of any other game ever than watch this one. So, um, yeah, uh, definitely not watching that game. That's a no for me. Uh, you know, what really capped this game off is that if it ends up in a tie, would not be surprised if it's zero, zero at the end of four quarters No, but, um, I, I think the Eagles are definitely going to pull this one off, I believe. Uh, but it's the NFC East, a boring game between two terrible teams. Uh, I really have no idea who's going to be watching that, but I, in my opinion, the Eagles are going to win. Yeah, I think the Eagles will win too. Wentz looked better in week six as he moves forward. It, it should be a, a closer game due to both teams not being that good, but Wentz <laughs> should help them pull away. And uh, moving over to the MLB, as we mentioned earlier, the World Series starts tonight. Rays, Dodgers, two very different teams. Now, Mm -hmm. obviously, payroll-wise, the Dodgers with one of the highest payrolls in baseball and the Rays with one of the lowest payrolls in baseball. So you have a team in the Dodgers who just spends money. You have Mookie Betts, obviously, on the roster. Uh, Your pitching staff of David Price, who actually hasn't pitched all year, is not going to pitch. He's out with, you know, he had the COVID restriction, didn't want to play. But he's on your books. You have Clayton Kershaw. You have Kenley Jansen at closer, just all these big names, Cody Bellinger. And then you go against the Rays and you have guys like Randy Rosarena, who just started playing uh, about a month, two months ago. He hadn't, you know, been in the majors. So it's like, man, it, it shows you that the Rays are doing something right. And it's it's incredible. So this is a, a good matchup for, for baseball fans because I think a lot of people want the race to win this because it's, you know, they are the underdog. It's a classic underdog story as much as the Rays had a great record this year. And were one of the, um, one of the best teams in the league, they're still an underdog here. And, and I don't, let's talk payroll though. I mean, look at the race, $28 million for the payroll versus a, you know, a hundred million for the Dodgers. I mean, granted Mookie bets, I think combined all together, uh, pretty much makes more than the entire Rays team does. But 
and this is just like I guess a true testament for baseball really it's not gonna is it really gonna the question is is it gonna be these you know big teams that make the most money that are gonna win it does money end up making you win a world series and that's gonna be the big question here for baseball because there is no salary cap in baseball there's you know a luxury tax but you know, you're going to have a team that makes under 50 million or, you know, that pays players under 50 million to win a World Series. It's just going to go to show that other teams are going to start adapting that. And, you know, the uh, for the World Series, the Rays, I think they're going to win, in my opinion. Uh, the Dodgers are going to do what they normally do in the postseason. That's my that's going to be my bold take for today, Austin, is that Rays are going to win. I'll give it six. I'll give it six. Rays in six? Uh, mm-hmm. It's so hard for me to pick against the Dodgers just because of the talent they have, what they right. showed in the Atlanta series. Um, I really want the Rays to win. I really do. I really hope the Rays can pull it out. But it's so hard because I just, you know, on paper, it's like, wow, man, their offense is just powerful. But at the same time, it's like, man, Kershaw – it's just about as good as any Red Sox starter right now in the playoffs. I mean, he doesn't really get the job done. So game one, game one will help to decide the series tonight, I think. Because if the Dodgers come out with Kershaw and get a win, that's huge. Because, you know, the Rays are throwing glass now. They're ace. Um, one of their aces, I guess, Snell's also. It's like 1A and 1B. Snell and glass now are both mm-hmm. really good. Um, I got to go Dodgers in six. I, I just can't pick against Los Angeles this year. I, I really can't because of the talent difference. And I think at some point, you know, the Rays have gotten here, I think, based on team chemistry in a lot of ways. So based on that, I think the Dodgers are going to win in six as the Rays team chemistry. You know, it doesn't deteriorate in any way, but it only carries you so far. So unfortunately, I, the Cinderella story will come to an end. Now, if – Clayton Kershaw loses, you know, the series, the Dodgers lose, hypothetical. Does this hurt his legacy? Yes and no. Um, He's still going to be a Hall of Famer. That's Mm -hmm. already pretty much determined based on his dominance in the regular season. But the knock on him as, you know, he could be one of the greats in terms of greatest pitchers of all time, you know, especially of this generation. But you look at it and it's like, well, Verlander's dominated the playoffs. Scherzer has. Kershaw's just not clutch. Now, this for Kershaw, he can't get it done. It's kind of like, well, where do you go now? You've had so many opportunities to do it in the playoffs, and you just can't. He's sub 500 in the playoffs with an ERA over four. So now it's like you've gotten enough shots. Bumgarner got three shots at it and won three World Series, and he dominated. So now you're like, well, Bumgarner might be better than Kershaw. He's got three rings. So this really, if he doesn't get this one – um, this, yeah, it does hurt his legacy. What it does hurt even more is Dave Roberts' chance at managing the Dodgers next year. I don't think he will if they don't win this one. Um, but, yeah, Kershaw really needs this for his legacy. Um, and I think just for him, he needs the World Series. I mean, he's had so many opportunities, and that's just got to be heartbreaking if he can't get one finally. Yeah, I mean, eight seasons, you know, since 2012, the Dodgers have made it to either the NLCS or World Series, you know, since then. Every single year, eight straight years in a row. And not once have they won a World Series ring. And to me, that's like, if you're a Dodgers fan, that's embarrassing. And two, it's just like the Yankees scenario. They spend all this money to really just win nothing. So now you're going to be questioning, 
you know, the general managers, you know, the manager of the team. And you're going to look at the dugout and say, you know, what, what did we do wrong here? You know, eight straight years and nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the problem is, though, is if you're the GM, the Dodgers, you're looking at it like talent wise. Like, well, I mean, we're first place every year. I'm putting the guys out there. It's just they're not postseason performers. So sometimes you need a guy who's not that good in the regular season but gets it done in the postseason. That's what helped the Red Sox win that, uh, their latest World Series with Steve Pierce, a guy who isn't the best regular season player, but when you need somebody to get a clutch hit, he's there. And the Dodgers are, are slowly finding that guy in Corey Seager, I think, and which is shocking everybody because Corey Seager was a guy who came up as, at one point in his career, the number one prospect in baseball and a guy who – Everyone projected, man, like he was that power hitting shortstop. Then he had bad issues and didn't play. And they traded for Machado. And basically, Seager was kind of like, eh, I mean, this guy's, this guy's done. All of a sudden, boom, he's just mashing baseball. So that's what's impressed me the most is now you have Corey Seager. He's back. And I think he could be the guy. So the series is going to come down to if Kershaw can finally get that win. And if Corey Seager can keep up and prove that he's legitimately back as one of the best shortstop in baseball. Game one tonight, World Series. Uh, Austin has the Dodgers in six, and I have the Rays in six. Going to be a very fun series. I mean, both uh, you know LCS series went to seven games. So, really, you can see this one also going to seven, too. Yeah, it's going to be a great series, George. We'll be here again on Friday to recap what's happened so far in the World Series. But a new segment here on Midnight Mania Sports that we want to get into is Guess That Player. So, George, we put out on our social medias, a, a I guess stat or yeah stat of a guy mm-hmm. and it's kind of a it's a little bit open-ended but I'll let you take this one from here the guess that player for this week so for this week it is which NBA player only hit one three-pointer in his career and the hint is he's probably one of the greatest Lakers players ever so while there could be multiple answers because I'm sure there's a couple guys who mm-hmm. only hit one but we're looking for a Lakers legend um, my mind dances to Shaq kind of first because I'm like, oh man, Shaq couldn't hit threes. But I also got to think like Lakers legends who are big men. So I have a couple guesses, either Shaq or Kareem. I don't know exactly, but what we'll do is, um, if you have a guess, George, I mean, I'm sure you know it. You kind of came up with the. <laughs> I the did question. come up with the question. I'm, so I'm, I'm just guessing I won't my answer. best. If it's yeah, you won't guess. But I mean, I wouldn't call Dwight Howard a Lakers legend, so I'm not gonna <laughs> say him. So I'm gonna say it's either Shaq or Kareem. And I'm going to lean towards Kareem, but we're not, we'll reveal the answer on our social medias at Midmania Sports, Midnight Mania Sports, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you, you know, do your media socially, you can follow us there. And uh, we'll be revealing the answer of this week's guest the player. And again, that was an NBA legend, a Lakers legend who only hit one three in his entire NBA career. So I'm going to guess Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and we'll reveal that answer later today. So George, before we wrap things up here, on this episode, anything else you got to throw out there? Any last minute thoughts, any hot takes, any bold oh, predictions, any, any messages to the grieving Cowboys fans? You know, I, did you see that video of that guy crying and his girlfriend was holding him? It did. He's, he had a Yankees. Is that the one with the Yankees mask on or no? I don't know. No, he was a Cowboys fan. fan. No, he didn't. Was... Yes. Yes. That was, so that was that guy. Yeah, yeah, see, that's crying. embarrassing. I and feel bad. I had a guy in the stands <laughs> who, <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's tough. I wouldn't cry. I mean, the Phillies have given me plenty to cry about, but I don't know if I've shed a tear. I came really close when they blew another game. Like Brandon Workman blew about four in a row, and I came really close. I was like really considering <laughs> just taking everything on my walls down that had a Phillies logo on it. And I, I don't know if that guy, that guy's probably feeling the same Dude. way. He's he, he crying at a game. I did that once. I threw, all right, it was when it was a helmet catch. Patriots Super Bowl. Tyree catches it in the Giants win. I threw all my Patriots stuff. I was throwing like a big temper tantrum. I was like seven, eight years old. And I was just throwing a temper tantrum. I was like, I hate the Patriots. They stink. And I was like, I don't like this team. I guess that's when I realized I became a Cowboys fan. When Jermaine Curse caught that ball in the Seahawks Patriots Super Bowl, the one that kicked oh, off gosh. his own foot, yeah. that was the one that did it for me. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, we're cursed. <laughs> I was convinced at that point that there was something wrong, that they just like couldn't win another one. Like, it was destined oh, to happen. Gosh. But next thing you know, Malcolm Butler and a, a star is born and everything oh. is well. No, he's, so. he's not a star, in my opinion. That dude was <laughs> a one-hit wonder. Yeah. He, yeah, he had that one good play, and then after that, it was over. He was very overrated after that. I think it was... It was coaching that made him really good. I think that, that was part of it. It was like, oh, we can coach this guy to be a decent cornerback, but he never was a stud. Um, but anything, I mean, for me, I guess the last thing is, if, I mean, for the World Series, Kershaw needs it to build on his legacy. Um, and I guess if, if they don't win, Dave Roberts is going to be fired, and I'm excited to watch some postseason baseball. But as I said earlier, Dodgers are going to win, I still think. And it should be an exciting one. You get to see Mookie Betts if you're a Red Sox fan, so it's definitely worth the watch. Yeah, watching Mookie is definitely a salt in the wound for Red Sox fans of what it could have been this year. But I guess my last thing is the Pelicans, dude. Hire a coach. It's been two months already. Like, just give me Stan Van Gundy. Like, just please let it happen. You want Stan or Jeff Van Gundy? You want Stan? I'd rather have Stan. I'd rather have Stan. That's interesting. I think he would develop Zion pretty well. I mean, look who he had. He He had Dwight Howard and Shaq. He coached both of them, you know? And I think that he can do the same thing he did with Dwight when he was just, uh, you know, in the league and with the Magic. And Shaq, when he was kind of at the later end of his career in uh, Miami, but still similar builds, similar play styles. So I think that's what he needs. But yeah, so that, Stan that's Van Gundy's not bad. He's not a bad head coach. I'll take him. I actually saw, speaking of head coaches, a comparison on, I forget what social media, and somebody compared Mike McCarthy to Doc Rivers because they both only won championships because of their star players. Uh, Aaron Rodgers won it for McCarthy. He's been mediocre ever since, continues mm-hmm. to lose. Doc Rivers, you can argue the same thing. KG and Pierce and Allen, that big three is what it took to win the championship. And since then, Doc hasn't, got any of his teams really back to you know where they want to be so there is similarity between McCarthy and Rivers I think Rivers is a better coach but that's a that's a debate for another time I guess yeah and I guess if we're going to be comparing you know one my comparison I had was Clayton Kershaw and Giannis both great in the regular season they just can't show up in the postseason well I think that's that's true in a way, but it's unfair to Giannis because he's still so young. Kershaw's been had like eight shots at it. <laughs> and I guess and I guess baseball is more of a team sport, but Kershaw though hasn't done his individual part of being part of the team in terms of helping them try to win. So yeah, that's that's pretty fair. I did see another story though before we wrap it up of speaking of because you made me think of postseason baseball. Mm-hmm. Derek Lowe back in two thousand four in the ALCS, the Yankees 
in that in that series, the uh, the Red Sox came back to beat the Yankees. Um, Derek Lowe in Game Seven, he was supposed to pitch, and the Yankees team equipment lost his cleats, and he had no other pairs. So they had to go to Sports Authority in New York and just buy him cleats that like you or me would buy if we were playing like a travel baseball. So Derek Lowe wore cleats off the shelf of a Sports Authority in New York in Game Seven when the Red Sox won. Is this a conspiracy theory? No, that's a real story. It's a real story. That's what happened. They just Derek. But do you think they accidentally lost it, or do you think it was stolen or something? Yeah, Derek Lowe says the Yankees equipment staff always seem to lose something. So I think it was just kind of, oh man, this guy's pitching tonight. We'll lose his cleats, and he's, you know what I mean. Um, back then that would turn that would turn the tides of the game. It, it could you never know if the guy's used to playing in the same cleats or whatever it may be i mean he had nothing he had to go pick up brand new cleats that he's never worn and pitched that can't be That's comfortable true. and you're just lucky they had his size so and they weren't even like they weren't nikes or anything i forget what brand they were but he had to like color them black because he could only wear nikes and they wouldn't have even have nikes they were reebok i want to say Oof. that must be rough because imagine like you know how like you just get like a new pair of shoes and you have to break them in you just gotta yeah, like yeah. wear them a few times to make it comfortable. That must be awful. Imagine pitching in like, ugh. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, wow, that's one of those weird sports stories of the week. Oh, Derek Lowe, a legend. So we'll see if there's any postseason legend being born this week as the World Series gets off to a great as off to a start tonight with the Rays facing the Dodgers. Glasnow versus Kershaw at eight o'clock. So. Thank you for listening to this episode of Midnight Mania Sports. For George Hathaway, I'm Austin Dakota. Make sure you subscribe to our iTunes, Apple podcast, and listen to us wherever you want to listen to podcasts. We really appreciate it, and we'll see you next time here on Midnight Mania Sports.